Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and our word on KCB 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Well, welcome back to the House of Mystery on KKNW 1150 AM Seattle and KCAA 106.5 FM Los Angeles. I'm Al Warren. And, of course, joining me for today's interview is Dr. Joe Yusinski. Hey, Joe, how's, how's it going? Very good. I am enjoying the weather in Miami. I actually spent the weekend in Austin at a political science conference. Um, and the weather was okay there, but it got down to 40. Um, so I actually had to learn what it was like to wear pants. <laughs> You don't have to wear pants at 40. <laughs> Got to be cooler than that before you take the shorts. That's in my opinion. I'm out there shoveling when it's uh, 30. So, Wow. So now today, uh, of course, we're talking a little bit about politics and, and, and that, that area. And we have an author, and um, he's written the book uh, with a co-author, and uh, Responsible Parties, Saving Democracy from Itself. And that's Ian Shapiro. Thank you for taking the time. Thanks so much for having me on. Wow. So that's um, this is a very appropriate book for the way things are going in, in, in not only the States but the world. Um, what brought you and uh, your co-author to write this book? Um, well, we've become increasingly concerned at the dysfunctional and polarized character of politics in not only in the U.S., but many of the um, established democracies. And we are firmly of the view that part of the problem is a result of a misdiagnosis that's leading to reforms that actually make it worse. And so we really wanted to um, highlight that 
phenomenon and try to change the conversation and suggest changes that would move things in a better direction. What, what, what direction are you looking at? Like, are you looking at another country that you think is more successful at their uh, politics? Well, uh, unfortunately, the sort of problem that has that we're talking about is is repeating itself o over and over in many different systems. So, uh, the British system, for example, used to be much better functioning than than ours, but they've made similar reforms. The basic problem is that uh, voters who feel angry and alienated um, from politics tend to demand reforms that give more direct control to voters over politicians, parties, and decisions. Um, and so you get uh, demands for greater reliance on primaries. You get demands for ballot initiatives and referendums. You get demands for majority-minority districts in the U.S. You get demands for direct election of leaders. Um, but all of these things, what they in fact do is empower unrepresentative groups of voters who are often at the extremes of the political parties um, who then uh, make it virtually impossible for them to govern. Um, so just for example, in the U.S., um, we've had primaries for more than 100 years, but what's changed is that the vast majority of seats in Congress today are safe seats maybe 90% of the seats are safe seats, which means that the the only election that matters is the primary. And the dirty little secret about primaries is that there's very low turnout. So, for instance, you can have, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez elected in an 11% primary turnout, or you can get somebody like Jim Jordan in Ohio elected uh, in a 15.5% turnout. Um, and the people who turn out tend to be at the extremes of the parties. So when those people then go to Washington, they either um, compromise, uh, in which case the people who elected them accuse them of selling out, which is accurate, or they don't, in which case we get gridlock, government shutdowns, and everything we're looking at, and other voters become alienated. Either way, um, the the business of politics stops being done, and we get the sort of uh, polarization. This is why polarization in Congress is more extreme than polarization in the population, and it's why it's so difficult for the parties to govern. So well, one question I have is: Is this sort of um, an elitist take that you're that, that you're taking here? You're saying we should have less participation. Um, do you want to get rid of primaries? Should we get rid of elections altogether? I mean, because if the problem is the primary, wouldn't wouldn't the problem also manifest itself in the in the general election too? That you still have voters who um, aren't that educated, and many of whom are polarized. No, I don't think it's a lack of education, uh, and I don't think voters are stupid. I, we also don't think politicians are evil. We tend to shoot the messengers, but the politicians are responding to the incentives in front of them. It's not an elitist take. We think 
the best metaphor for thinking about um, parties is sports teams. So if you think about if you think about a football NFL team, you know there's huge authority is delegated to the quarterbacks and the managers, but they are, they have enough rope to hang themselves. If they don't deliver victories, they're they're gone pretty soon. What we have done is so weakened political parties that the people running them um, can't deliver for the reasons I've said. But actually, the backbenchers or the, the the representatives can't even coordinate enough to remove them. So, you know, we saw Nancy Pelosi led the Democrats to four successive defeats, and they, and she was still there. Or if you look on the Republican side, you know, the the Freedom Caucus, who were the Tea Party people, um, felt. Uh, completely betrayed by John Boehner, but they couldn't actually get him out. They co- couldn't coordinate among the disparate Republican groups to get him out. And the same thing happened with Paul Ryan. So we have protected but ineffective leadership and parties that uh, can't function. Um, so we're not for going back to smoke-filled rooms, but but if you think about giving the party leadership a greater say in the selection of candidates at least when there's very low turnout you would you would get a different result because they have an incentive to pick people who can both win in their district and support a national program that everybody in the party can get behind so the sorts of reforms we're proposing are things like if the turnout in a primary falls below some threshold, say 75% of the turnout in the previous general election, then the, the congressional party leadership would be able to pick the candidate. Likewise, in presidential elections, uh, Donald Trump was picked by less than 5% of the U.S. electorate as the Republican candidate, and the Republicans couldn't stop him because, unlike the Democrats to that point, the superdelegates were bound by the primary results in the, on the first ballot. Um, we're not, you know, we think superdelegates are a band-aid on a bad system, and we're not for going back to smoke-filled rooms and all of that. But it's worth remembering that until 1828, the congressional parties picked the presidential candidates. It was when Andrew Jackson lost to John Quincy Adams in 1824 he mounted the first populist assault on the system, and that's why we got our first national conventions in 1828 when he won. Um, but if you have the congressional leadership having a bigger say in the choice of presidential candidates, it would make the U.S. system function more like a parliamentary system, and the, the president and the congressional parties would be uh, cooperating much better than they managed to do under the present system. So I, I, I do like your solution, and I do like the idea that if you have a primary where you have almost nobody showing up, um, that you would avoid that result because I, I, I think we do get some strange, you know, candidates because of that. And I think you bring up Cortez, and that's yeah. probably a good example. And she probably and doesn't. And are even worse. Yeah. Yeah. She, she probably way, doesn't. Are even worse. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she's a. a you know, a socialist. She probably does not represent um, the majority of her of her district, and um, and she may very well be there for forty or fifty years if she wanted to be, because once she gets in grant, she'll have her incumbent um, 
you know, her incumbency to keep her there. But I, I, one thing I want to get back to is, I mean, it is, I agree with you that there are some places where we should limit popular control and allow the parties a little more. But on the one hand, I mean, we do sort of have that a lot now. I mean, if you pick out, you know, some primaries where nobody shows up, yes, that makes sense. And the, the election of Donald Trump, yes, that makes sense. But, um, you know, both you and I are familiar with works, you know, for, for example, the book The Party Decides that shows that, yeah, you have these people voting in primaries, but it's really elites that are, you know, donating the money, bringing the candidates into their networks and doing the endorsements that really decide the primary behind the scenes. And what happened with with Trump seems to be an exception rather than the rule. Um so actually we actually we disagree with that if you look at the okay. data i mean the the democratic party tried to stop obama getting the nomination in, in favor of, of hillary and they were not able to do it um, the the republican party tried to stop uh there was a, a lot of resistance to um, john mccain if you actually go through election by election it seems like the folks who wrote that book actually just got it plain wrong uh, Rick Peldis at uh, NYU Law School has gone through, um, you know, dozens of uh, elections and, and finds the data just doesn't support that. The parties are now too weak. They used to decide, but they're just too weak uh, to stop the the possibility of um, uh, essentially hostile takeovers. And and you know they almost uh, the Democrats try to. You know, almost weren't able to stop um, 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 Bernie Sanders, and indeed, the condition of getting him to support Hillary's ticket in 2016 was that they have now changed their rules so that the the primary voters will prevail on the first ballot. Not that that stopped Hillary from winning this time, but so they would not be able to stop a Trump-like figure next time. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly, you know, I certainly agree with that because it did look like the Republicans were sort of impotent in dealing with 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 the Trump issue. Um, Absolutely, and, and and it seemed sort of ridiculous. I understand why they wanted to appear more egalitarian, um, but the Democrats, by by getting rid of the superdelegate issue, seems to seems to be a, a backward move. Um, Absolutely. So on one area, I, w I want to push you on a little bit. So even if parties do uh, become more powerful and perhaps yep. can govern better because of it, you still have democracy there. You're still going to have people voting, um, at least in general elections. Mm -hmm. um, and there are a lot of studies on this that say people aren't that well informed. They don't know about most of the policies. And if you look at presidential elections... Um, they tend to vote based on economic performance in the last two quarters rather than the whole breadth of, of, of the work that the president's done over the four years. Um, so it, it just sort of seems like people are going to vote for one, you know, the party they belong to, and then that will be tempered somewhat by, you know, recent economic performance. And economic performance is going to go up and down. It doesn't really reflect that much on the president so isn't there still a problem with democracy that we have to solve uh so i'd say you know i i agree with you up to a point but only up to a point and we the, the, the spirit of our book 
um, responsible parties saving democracy from itself is is very much not, well, if we can't solve every problem, we mustn't solve any problem. We're trying to push in, in, in the other direction. And what I would say about voter ignorance is um, we, should, you, we shouldn't blame the voters. It's so easy to blame the voters. But part of the reason voters don't take an interest in what the candidates say is, is because of what the candidates are saying. The candidates are largely catering to the extremes of the parties, um, and they're not talking about the sorts of issues that, that matter most to most voters. Uh, and so the voters don't have that much of an incentive. So one of the reasons there's low turnout in general elections is because of the kind of people who get picked in the primaries. And then, uh, you know, voters take a look at the candidates and it's the, you know, lesser of two evils and they, they really have no incentive, uh, to learn about what the candidates are proposing. Another reform we're suggesting would get more uh, candidates that uh, are like the voters, more like the median voter in the district. So if you, if you look at plans to redistrict, um, you know, in a lot of states, they're, they're determined by the, whoever controls the state legislature. But then if it's, if, it's by, if it's all controlled by one party, they just make safe, seat, safe seats for themselves. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Reproducing the problem. Well, sometimes when there's divided party control in the state legislature, they do bipartisan gerrymandering. They just carve up the state into state safe seats, which is also bad. So we really like the move to independent commissions that you see in a, in a number of the states, California being one, for example. But the trouble with the move is often they're not really independent, they're bipartisan, so they just make deals, or they haven't been given the right um, thing to maximize, because what they should be maximizing is the competitiveness of the, the districts between the parties. Ideally, parties, uh, districts should have both rural voters in them and urban voters rather than, you know, uh, blue cities in red states where, again, you get these safe seats uh, that are decided in the primaries. And the general election voters look at, you know, the things that these candidates are running on and promising to their um, grassroots, and they're not interested. So I, I'm reluctant to blame the voter. Okay, um, so let me ask another question. So when you say responsible parties, um, you yeah. have some solutions for our current parties to come in and fix things. How about third parties? Would you think that that would be, um, could those solve some problems? I mean, we have the Green Party and we have a Libertarian Party, which are, are tiny, but do have some organization across across the different states. Would you recommend them becoming more powerful, or you? does your book sort of push the position that having two is fine? So we think not, because, uh, you know, people like to think the grass is always greener somewhere else, but we, in our book we have, we have chapters on, on France, Germany, um, Britain, um, uh, Eastern Europe, and Latin America, and we look at all different kinds of electoral systems, and... The problem with multi-party systems is it, it, they uh, they undermine accountability in a different way because you always have to have coalition governments. No, nobody wins a majority. And once you have coalition governments, um, the different parties can blame one another for what actually happens in government. We think the most important thing is for governments to be held accountable by voters for what they actually do. So parties should run on a platform, and, and the voters should know that if they win, this is what will be implemented. And then they can make a retrospective judgment afterwards. Well, did they do what they say, said they were going to do? Did they get it right uh, or not? Whereas once you have multi-party systems, um, you don't get that. And furthermore, if you look at the European multi-party systems, even the ones that used to be very functional, like Germany um, or Holland, the, the parties are now fragmenting, um, be, partly because of the collapse of organized labor, which has led to splintering parties on the left, 
and that then produces splintering on the right. So it's now routine for, for you know, even in Germany, which was held out as the best of those systems, it took Merkel, you know, eight months to form a coalition, um, and both members of it are deeply unpopular. They are now losing to the far-right extreme parties mm. and to the Greens in uh, regional elections. So we, we, we don't think, you know, we think in whatever system you have, we should be moving towards fewer parties rather than more and stronger parties rather than weak so that what you actually get is accountable governments. Because at the end of the day, it's what the government does or doesn't do that is really most consequential for the voters. I was going to say. So where do you see? Oh, uh, just go on, ahead, on, on the European notion in Britain and that. Did you ever yep. look at the Canadian parliamentary system? And um, you know, yep. And and uh, now, comparatively, um, because the prime minister is just one vote and part of the party, and because you do have mm-hmm. coalition governments. And even in Britain, when something does go wrong, the government can't put forth something that doesn't pass or there's a Mm non-confidence. So in a way, they are paying for it if they can't get their act together and put in a a law that's going to pass, whereas in the U.S. that doesn't happen. Yeah, so, you know, the the basics of the political science on this are that if you have single-member district systems like we have and the British have and the Canadians have, you'll tend to get two parties, provided the median voter in the district is pretty much like the median voter in the country. The districts have to more or less reflect the country. Now, Canada has has regional variation, that's, so that's why you get the Quebecois, or in India, where there's a lot of regional variation, even though they have single-member districts, they get more parties. The answer to that and, and in Britain, of course, they have some regional variation, too. So you get the Scottish nationalists, and, and you get nationalist parties in Ireland. Um, so that undermines the two-party dimension. But for the most part in Britain, they tend to get two parties. Uh, it would be a little better if they had bigger constituencies, because the problem in Britain is that London is so wealthy and the rest of the country is so poor by comparison. And so you, again... We want, you know, what would be perfect in Britain is if a sliver of London was in every constituency. Uh, obviously, you can't go that far, but they, they have very small constituencies by world standards. So they could, you know, reduce the House of Commons to 400 people for, and have bigger constituencies, and they would be ahead. Um, but they, they have made many of the same mistakes we've made. They, they didn't have to have a referendum on Brexit. You know, that really sharpens what we're talking about, because what parties do is they bundle issues. So if you think about it, if you if you ask American voters, would you like a, a tax cut? Overwhelmingly, they'll say yes, even if it's the estate tax that almost nobody pays. But if you say, would you like an est- a, a tax cut if it meant getting rid of prescription drug benefits for seniors? They'll say no. So in the second case, what they're doing is bundling. They are discounting their preference for the tax cut by their preference for the prescription drug benefits. That's what parties do. They, they discount everything they propose by everything else they propose. And if you pull out something like Brexit, uh, people can just vote on that preference. The reason 
most voters will say yes to Brexit, but will also elect two parties that are overwhelmingly against Brexit, is that the parties in Parliament know that if they bundle Brexit with all the other things that their supporters care about, it's going to produce bad outcomes for their supporters. It's just like, you know, in California, we had Proposition 13, limiting property taxes. Everyone says, great, but then, you know, that's not being bundled with what effect that's going to have on the school system and local government services and so on. So, again, it, it seems more democratic, but actually all it does is uh, make it impossible for governments to, to do what they should do and for parties to bundle issues in ways that are responsible in that they can actually deliver for voters the benefits that, that voters need. So one thing that happens when you have cohesive parties is that you can also get a, a situation where, you know, the, the, you know, like the Republican Party now is going to support Trump, it seems like no matter what, right? They, they will pay a price, um, in two years if, if they don't support him and he will, you know, he seems like he wants to make sure that they do. Um, mm -hmm. so, so, so there's a negative side to this too. There could be a very dark side to having these groups that are going to stick up for each other, even when you have people engaging in misbehavior. That's exactly right. But it's it the, what it is is it's the illusion that the party is strong. The reason they're all terrified of Trump is because the party is weak. So if you look at Mitch McConnell, why will he why will he not have a vote uh, a straight up vote on opening the government? even though he knows there's considerable support for that in the Senate. It's because he's looking at a primary challenge in Kentucky, and he knows that uh, the Tea Party people will go after him and Trump will encourage him if he does that. So he's actually in a very weak position. He's not in a strong position. It's just the, party lo the parties look cohesive, um, but in fact they're being they've been subject to a hostile takeover, and they're being controlled by a fringe group. So you, unless you tackle that phenomenon, you're not going to change anything else because it's not that Mitch McConnell is an evil person. It's that Mitch McConnell doesn't want to go the way that Eric Cantor went. He cannot, he simply cannot take on the far right of the Republican Party, the Freedom Caucus and the Tea Party people, and expect to survive. So unless we change the rules that make somebody like him that vulnerable, um, you know, they're not going to do it uh, because they won't survive. And they'll either, you'll either have gridlock or, or like, you know, first Boehner and then Ryan, they'll just give up and go away. Let me su suggest one other solution to you that you may or may not have considered. So maybe a Mitch McConnell um maybe he doesn't have to hold a seat in the senate maybe the the house and the senate should pick leaders for themselves that see i mean do you think that could solve some of the problem pick leaders for themselves that what that that don't that don't hold the seat so for example they wouldn't have to worry about a, 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 they won't be able to vote but they don't have to worry about being voted for in a particular state or district well I mean, that, that's that, an interesting yeah, it's an interesting idea. I worry that that's the, the, the beginning of the slippery slope back to smoke-filled rooms and party okay. grandees and others. I really think that the football metaphor is, the, or any sport metaphor is, the, what you really want is that everybody should be on the same team so that the same strategy will, as much as possible, 
be be the best for them. So, you know, they the the party leadership, as I said, if they have a big say in picking candidates, are going to pick people who can both win in their districts and be on the same team nationally. That's what they're going to be trying to maximize, those two things. Of course, it's hard because of regional variation, and it would be helped along if we had independent commissions drawing districts and we made primaries less important in the ways I've suggested and so on. It's still always hard, but that that would make uh, the biggest difference, we think. What about the Electoral College? What's your thoughts? So... So, yeah, everybody says, oh, we should get rid of the Electoral College. You know, it's so unfair. Hillary got three million more votes, and she didn't get elected president. We actually think it's a a sideshow, because if you strengthen the president, which is what you would do if you got rid of the Electoral College, the president would have more legitimacy, not less. That would just further weaken the party leaderships in Congress, and um, the U.S. would start to look more like Latin America, and those systems are very unstable and invite so much populism precisely because the president has an independent, um, uh, you know, an independent constituency being directly elected by the voters and can uh, therefore ignore the legislature or force or threaten the legislature. We, we, we want to make the president more like a prime minister, more dependent on Congress. So this whole debate about... Um, uh, getting rid of the Electoral College seems to us to be just beside the point. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. Um, and, you know, we, as I said, I think I said earlier, we, this this used to be the system until 1828. All the reforms we propose in our book, Responsible Parties, Saving Democracy from Itself, could be done without constitutional amendments uh, and so on. You know, they're all within the realm of things that actually could happen. Now, do you think people are going to adopt this idea? I think that it's it. We are hoping it's it's an idea whose time is coming. We, you know, we realize we're in some sense swimming upstream because people think no. What we need is more direct control, not not less. But they it all they get is the illusion of control. They don't actually get control, and what they really need is accountable government. Um, one one thing that I think it has going for it is that um, we haven't talked about the role of money in politics, and everybody talks about the supply of money to politics and all the all of the um, you know lobbyists and and fat cats who give money. But we look at it from the demand side. Why do politicians need so much money? And it's because they need money to to engage in these perpetual campaigns which are made so much worse by primaries that's one thing the british system is much better at they have very short cheap campaigns and so if the politicians didn't need all this money they would they hate raising this money they hate spending the time they hate being beholden to the lobbyists and you know the sort of reforms that we are suggesting would make it much less necessary because if every politician in Congress is basically uh, on on their own, they're all they all need this money in order to survive. Wholesale campaigning is much cheaper than retail campaigning. If they were all basically on the same team, they wouldn't need all of this money. So we think that um, politicians should should find our ideas appealing, if if not for any other reason, just for that reason. Well. 
Well, Ian, thank you very much for being on the show. Our guest has been Ian Shapiro. The book is Responsible Parties, Saving Democracy from Itself. We'll have that linked up to our site. Thank you, Ian. Thanks so much for having me on. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.